Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. All right, well, here we are. Sixth part of the Daniel series. If you have your Bibles, yeah, yeah, we are going into Daniel's Den. The Lions in Daniel's Den. That is the title. And some of you are like, wait, what? I thought it was Daniel and the lions. No, 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 no. It's the lions coming to Daniel's den. You like that? You like that? The play on words, yeah? Pastor Linda likes it. The rest of you, I don't know yet, all right? But yeah, so that's that's what we're going to be looking at today. And isn't it interesting? I brought a little storybook. You know, a lot of the publishers that release children's storybooks, have you ever noticed that some of them like misrepresent the, the heartbeat of the biblical stories? How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? But in one sense, I, I get it because you're taking complex human drama and you're trying to convey that in a, I guess, a digestible, you know, palatable way for, you know, a six or seven year old, right, to fully understand it. But what bothers me sometimes is I think we as adults can have the storybook understanding, right, of particular famous stories. The fact that everyone in here has at least heard of this story, if, you, if this is your first time in a church, you're like, man, this is great. I actually know the story today. I would say to you, that's the problem with this. That's the problem with this story. And in all of them though, right? You could, you could hear about, I don't know, Samson and Delilah and think it's a love story. Oh, it's a beautiful little love story. And we know it's really not. Well, you hear about the Arky Arky. Oh, is it Noah's Ark? Oh, it's so wonderful. And it's a story about God's judgment. And the lion's den, for many of us, We could think it's really a story about a man that goes into this lion's den. And then at the end, there he is. He's sleeping on these fun, furry felines, right? And here, here's here's a picture from a book. Like, like there he is, like nestled up. Go to sleep, go to sleep, little Daniel. You're in the lion. I'm making my own song up as we go. It's not a real song. Uh, But, right, you think of that, you look at that, isn't that what we get from the story? And you know what? There is so much more to this story, so I'm glad you're here today. I am excited. It wasn't a fun week to prepare for this. We all strep throat Monday morning. I, I, I don't feel well. I have a sore throat. I get a text from Megan at some point. The baby has strep throat. I have strep throat. And guess what? You're gonna get strep throat. This is gonna be a fun week. But honestly, through all of the adversity and everything going on, it was a fun week. And I'd have to be on my deathbed to to not preach today. I'm being serious with you. There are are some series and there are some sermons that you're so excited and amped up about. This is one of them. So if you sense the excitement, it's... I don't know. If you don't sense the excitement, I don't know what you're watching, what you're listening to this morning. So how about we dive into the text? Are you ready? Chapter 6. Let's start only at the first three verses here. Okay? All right. It pleased Darius. Boom! Stop right there. Here we are. The Babylonian kingdom that we've talked about for weeks is now over. I love what one scholar says. He said, The sunset of Babylon's kingdom has now become the dawning of the Medo-Persian Empire. There's a new empire. The Babylonians were taken over. If you were here last week, right? We talked about Belshazzar. You remember that whole story? And the handwriting was on the wall. And he missed it. He missed the warning signs. I heard your hill houses were good. And you were talking about some of those questions that we looked at. Well, that's what's going on here. Please, Darius. Now, Darius is about roughly 62 years of age. This is his province that he's the leader of. Now, there is another guy that is the ruler over the whole kingdom. His name is Cyrus. So if you're wondering, who are these people in the story? Well, I'm giving you the history. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. That's important there, that he'd suffer no loss. 
then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. First thing I see when I, I read this here is you have to understand Darius is pretty smart when he says he wanted to set these rulers up to suffer no loss. You may be surprised by this, but he lived in a world where there was political corruption. There were bribes that were taking place. Can you imagine in a world that that would happen in politics? Now, I know you can't, you can't imagine that. Well, he doesn't want to suffer any loss. So what the text is trying to tell you is that there were people that were in charge before he comes on the scene that were probably taking money under the table. There were bribes. I mean, things were happening. It was the Wild West. So here he is. He wants to set up his own people, people that he hopefully, people that he thinks he could actually trust. And who does he take? He takes this octogenarian, this man that is in his 80s, Daniel. We talked about Daniel last week. We said he has gray hair. He's much older now. Long gone is the time when he is a 16-year-old young man taken from home, taken from Jerusalem. And remember in the beginning of the story, he would not eat food at Nebuchadnezzar's table, wouldn't eat the royal feast, and he goes on his Daniel fast. Well, now this man is in his 80s. He was the head of Barp. Now he's the head of Marp, right? The Medes, some of you totally Arp, right? Americanist, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, take that joke out. Um, So he's the head, right? He's the head guy. He's in his 80s semi-retirement, he's coming out and he's going to be put in charge of this. How do you think these guys are going to take this? No, the, the first miracle in the story, should I, I have to understand, the first miracle in the story is that there's an honest politician. That's the first one. That's really the first one when you look at Daniel. Really? This guy is honest in every single way. And when it says there in verse 3 that he has an excellent spirit, you know what that means? That he had an excellent spirit, that he was a man of character, that he was a man of integrity, that he was a man that could be trusted in every which way Daniel could be trusted. He embodied character. He embodied that. And again, we live in a day where political leaders can look in the camera and lie to our faces time and time again. We live in a day when you look at movie stars and you look at their personal lives and what a mess many of them are in, right? Mess. We look at sports stars, right? They, they deny taking performance-enhancing drugs. They lie right to the camera. People, leaders in our country, role models, people that we're supposed to look up to. Here is a man that has an excellent spirit, someone you can actually trust in all endeavors. And the king looks to him, but he has some enemies. And you go to verses 4 and 5. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. And you got to love Daniel in this story. Daniel does not get too concerned about his detractors. Daniel is not too concerned about his enemies, right? How many of you are familiar with the theologian Taylor Swift? You know Taylor Swift? In her words, Daniel's kind of like, the haters are going to hate, hate, hate. I'm just going to shake, shake, shake. Shake it off, Daniel. Shake it off. Shake it off. Shake it off. I teach 16, 17, 18-year-old kids. This is where I learned some of this stuff. Some of you are looking at me like, I don't know who Taylor Swift is. I don't know what song you're singing right now. I should have got something for that. That was impressive. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, basically, shake it off. So he's loyal to the king. And I have to imagine there was a conversation, was there not, between these satraps and these administrators. How are we going to get this guy? And one guy says, hey, look, let's go after finances. Let's say that he's been stealing from the king. And another guy's like, that's the worst thing I've ever heard of. He has served under three kings already. He's never done anything wrong. He's not, Darius isn't going to believe that. And then they come up with all these ideas and they keep knocking them down. No, that's not going to work. He's an honest guy. He would never steal. He would never do this. He would never do that. He's not going to be part of a plot to overthrow Darius. And then one of them says, ooh, I have a great idea. 
we can find a way to get a law or a decree that causes his allegiance to Darius and his allegiance to his God, if those two things can collide, oh, where in business? One scholar put it this way. I love this line. He noted that never was a loftier tribute paid to mortal man than the enemies of Daniel paid to him that day. You ever think, well, I mean, I read that and was like just arrested by that. What a tribute they're paying to him. Look at what he is. Look at who he is. Look at what he represents here in the story. And then moving on, 6 through 9. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. You notice that? Did you hear that? Like last couple of, every time they address the king, last couple of chapters, all the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, satraps, counselors, advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. What is this? Hey, Darius, you're going to be God for a month. Oh, that's great. 30 days, right? They're going, they're hitting his ego. Look, we're going to make you a God for 30 days. Everybody in the empire is going to worship you. Now, if you're Darius, you have to be thinking, going, yeah, you know what? I just took over the Babylonian kingdom. Probably a good idea, a way to get people to be loyal to me would be to do this, right? Pretty smart. So they, though, what is so funny about this in the text? Do you notice who's missing from this? Look what it says in the beginning, right? All the governors of the kingdom. No, 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 no. There is somebody missing. And, and by the way, I, we don't know where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are. I have no idea where those guys are. Maybe they're playing basketball for the... Well, they used to play for the Babylonian bombers. Now they're playing for the... I don't know. Come up with some other... I don't know. We don't know where they are. But Daniel is not here. But they're talking as if they have Daniel's backing. Right? You see that in the text? Sure. We're all here with you. Everybody is behind this. Daniel does not know anything about it. These are, these are shrewd politicians. They know what they're doing. And then what happens next? This is where the story really starts to get interesting. You, don't, you think you know where I'm taking the story? You have no idea. Yeah, yeah, and I'm going to enjoy it. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he knows. He went home and in his upper room with his windows open towards Jerusalem. Now, again, I told you, he's in his 80s. For almost seven decades, this is where he has lived. This is what he has done. He has prayed every single day. He has been in captivity and he's looking, he's, he's longing to go back home. And it looks like God is out of business. Because when you see this here, the temple has been destroyed back home. He's an old man. Where is God in all this? But here is a man that is resolute. Here is a man that is persistent. Here is a man that is relentless in the face of challenges, in the face of struggles. Here is a man that says, you know what? I'm going to keep getting down on my knees and I'm going to pray three times a day. You want to sign an edict? You want to put a decree? It doesn't matter to me because I know who I am. I know whose I am and nothing is going to stop me. And I was supposed to read the rest of the text. And in his upper room with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times Three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. The writer wants you to know he's not doing this now because there is a new decree that is signed and Darius is king for the, you know, he's God of the month. That's not what's going on here. This is an individual that has been consistent in his professional life. He has served all these kings without fault. He has been consistent in his personal life. He has been consistent in every which way. This guy, though, will not stop. And can't you see the scene of this man that day, this 80-something-year-old man who goes back home and his, his joints probably are cracking as he gets down on his knees, right? This is an old man. This isn't a young guy anymore. And there he is, and I see him in the same spot, and he's looking out the window, and he's praying. The text doesn't tell us 
what, probably was pretty funny, right? To see these guys and how they're like trying to hide and like see him, right? Don't you think? I would think it would have been pretty funny to watch these individuals as they're coming across them. Do you got it? You have them? Like, they didn't have iPhones. They couldn't take pictures. There was no video. Daniel's not hiding too. He doesn't want, he's like, hey, look, this is what I do. This is who I am. And he's there and he's praying. And you got to love the scene. I love what um, Jim Elliott, how many of you know Jim Elliott? You know what, wait, I'll do this first. Let me, let me give you this first. He probably is following David. One commentator noted this, and I thought it was worth, worth putting in. He said, yeah, Psalm 55, evening and morning, this is David. And at noon I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. This is a man who believes that God hears his voice. This is a man who believes that every single time he gets down on his knees. And why... why what is it about getting down on our knees? How many of you, I know me, if I pray on my nice, comfortable recliner in the family room, I'm in two minutes, I'm out, I'm snoring, I'm done. You get on your knees though, it's kind of uncomfortable, is it not? It's uncomfortable and you get down there and you're able to really focus. This man is a warrior. We don't think of him as a warrior, but this man in his 80s is a warrior. He will not stop. And here he is. And let me give you the Jim Elliott quote. And I love this. As it pertains to us in our prayer lives. Jim Elliott was a missionary. Killed some years ago. uh, Read read any biography about him. His wife actually wrote a very impressive book about uh, his life. God is still on his throne. And man is still on his footstool. There's only a knee's distance in between. Boom! How good is that? How true is that? Are we really getting down on our knees and pleading to God like, like Daniel did? For his purposes? For his purposes in our lives. For his purposes in this day. Are we doing that? It reminds me of, how many of you know the name John Wesley? The father of the Methodist movement. One of the catalysts of the first great awakening. Now a lot of us don't know who that is. You better know who that is. I'll go on a history lesson for the rest of the time. I'll forget the whole sermon right now. Don't make me do it. Stop me. John Wesley, the father of Methodism. You want to go to London, right? Hey, Miss, Miss Honey, you want to go to London, right? If we go to London, Megan, the first stop, we're going to take you. The first stop is John Wesley's house, okay? You can go visit John Wesley's house. Get this. Every single day at four o'clock, the dude would wake up and he'd go into his prayer closet This is wild to me. They called his prayer closet the powerhouse of Methodism. Every single day from 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. He was in his prayer closet, which was the size of like today, a walk-in closet, seven by eight. There he was down on his knees. If you visit today, you can't see it in the picture. The wood is grooved from his knees being on there every single day. You can actually tell there was a human that was sitting here and logged a lot of time in prayer. Are you kidding me? One of the catalysts for the first great awakening. What doesn't happen because we don't pray. He was a man of prayer. He didn't even spend a lot of time in the colonies. Only a couple of years. Amazing things happened in England. Friends. What would happen if we were a people that really were on our knees in our prayer closets when we're home and we're beseeching God? What's going on in your life right now? What's going on? Is it your marriage? Is it your kids? Is it your finances? How about what's going on in America today? What if we actually were down on our knees and we believed that there was only a footstool between us and the throne? How about that? What would happen? And if we really believed that the effective, our effective prayers, the prayers of the righteous would avail much. Not a little bit, not some, but much. And that we have the power to move heaven and earth with our prayers and our words. Oh, don't forget, life and death is in the tongue. You have power over your situations. You have power. We don't take it. Megan and I, this week, we, again, just a rough week in parenting every which way. Every which way. Being totally honest with you. What, brutal. We sat there. I said, I, 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 I said to my parents, I said, look, I'm really sick. I said, you, Dad has to do, a, do me a favor. Somebody has to go to the church. I need the Lord's table. I'm done. Done. I've had enough. I'm sick of getting my head kicked in. 
I told Megan, I said, Megan, we have to spend some time this week actually taking the Lord's table and praying. Aren't you sick of getting sick? You're sick of the enemy having his way in the house? I didn't even tell her. I woke up one morning and I'm circling my house, praying, praying outside the house. Yeah, you may think I'm crazy. You go through tough times. You go through difficult times. What are you going to do? Just think that things are going to happen by osmosis? No, there's power. And I'm praying circles around my kids and circles around my house and circles around this church. Power. I told you I came to preach today. Let me move on in the text. Because I have, oh, I have some, I have some bombs to drop. Yeah, I have some bombs to drop today. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any God or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Oh, so the king realizes he is in a quandary. And some other interesting things to note in in setting the context here. If you violated a law like this, the punishment was like that very day, right? Justice had to be served. That very, like that day, everything had the, everything has to get into motion, So they're going to start to set the stage. This isn't something that took some time and there's a trial for Daniel. There's no trial. This is it. It's done. It's over. And there's nothing the king can do. Nothing he can do. All right, moving ahead now. So they answered and said before the king, that Daniel, that guy that you put in that position, that that Jew that you put in that position, who is the one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased, not with Daniel, with himself, and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. You notice that word, deliver, deliver, deliver. Because remember, one of the main points of the whole book of Daniel is that there is a God who is sovereign. It runs throughout the whole book, all these narratives, that there is a God that is on the throne and he is absolutely sovereign. Now, can I take you into the lion's den? Can I take you in there? Let me show you. This is, wait, oh no, I forgot this part. I didn't read this, right? You didn't see this yet. No, you didn't see, we got to, let's finish this first, James, and then go on. So the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. This would be important for you to know. But the king spoke saying to Daniel, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. I need to show, this is a picture from, uh, this is a picture, you see it on the screens if you can't see over here that well. This is a, pr- a picture, a uh, painting that was done in 1890. Uh, the uh, uh, artist, uh, Britton Riviere. This is one of my favorite pictures of Daniel in the lion's den. I want you to just look at this picture. You see the old man that is here? Occasionally, I just sit here and I just stare at it. I love it. Um, and you see him here, right? He's comfortable. He's kind of relaxed. Do you see the lion's faces? Like, they're kind of in awe of him. Can't you kind of see the lion's like, I'm not going. You gonna go in there? You want to touch this guy? I'm not touching this guy. Like now, in the ancient world, this is interesting. Did you notice with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what was their punishment for not bowing down to the idol? All right, yeah, the fiery furnace. So for the Babylonians, um, I mean, for the Medes and the Persians, fire was very sacred. So that's why here, if you're wondering, like, why wouldn't they just put him in a furnace like they did in the other? Well, different cultures. Now, in the actual lion's den, now doing a little research on this, interesting, I never knew this before this week, by the way, they'd actually, they'd have like this cave or this den area, and they'd, they'd have a, a dividing wall inside, okay? So that would divide one side from the other. Imagine the individual whose job it was that you had to put food on one side, right? You would get then... The, the divider and wall would be raised and the lions could go in and eat and then you had the job of going on the other side and quickly cleaning up things in there. Yeah, that's a fun day at the office, right? You, you come home from work, if your wife says, hey, how did work go today? 
I'm alive, right? That should tell you how everything that you need to know. Would you want, I mean, imagine that somebody really had to do that, but that's what it was like. So there's a dividing wall that's in here. Now, Morgan, where are you? This is in my prayer chapel. I had to. Morgan DiNapoli, this is in my prayer chapel. I took this picture last night. This is, I love this picture. She actually drew me this picture. Morgan, how many years ago is this? Five, at least five. Yeah, at least five years ago. But it's something that I get to look at every day. And you know what? I can have Riviere's picture, but it's not this picture, Mo. It's not this picture. And then really, there's sentimental value in this picture. But it's something that I want to look at all the time. I, you really should have this picture. Why would you not want a picture like this? Look at this man that is sitting there. I mean, there's a lot more we could say about it, but I don't want to make this an art class right now. So I'll move on from that. Another interesting thing. Did you know, in, the ancient, in this ancient culture, this would have been called a trial by ordeal. This is not an execution. And I bet for everybody, you're like, what, what are you talking about? They're throwing him in the lion's den. Everybody thinks that he's going to be killed. No. What does Darius say to him? May your God whom you serve, may he deliver you. May he save you. A trial by ordeal was, there's a question of guilt. We don't really know if you're guilty. Now, you, in your head, you're going, well, it was pretty obvious. He's th- three times a day, he's praying. The king loves Daniel. Even though we know that, In this culture, this trial by ordeal, it was, hey, if you come out and you actually survive this, the number one way they would do a trial by ordeal, you know what they would do? They would just throw people into water. And if you couldn't swim, you died. I guess they're guilty. They couldn't swim. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Right? Think about how crazy that is. But that's what they would do. That's what this is. This is a trial by ordeal. And they want to see what happens. Now, the last part of the text And then I'll get into really the heart of the message that I want to give you before you leave today. Uh, Starting in 18. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. Stop right here. I have to. He's fasting. The writer is not focused on Daniel and the lion's den. Did you notice this? There's nothing about Daniel. It's it's about he, he is saved. He is delivered from the lion's den. It's all on this king, right? He's been made God for a month. This whole part of the end part of the story is focused on this guy who can't get sleep and he hasn't eaten. And you shouldn't sleep, uh, eat past 8 o'clock anyway. It doesn't matter unless it's peanut butter. If it's peanut butter, eat as much as your heart wants, right? I'm getting some of you hungry right now. Some of you want peanut butter. But here's the king, right? So the king can't sleep. The king is fasting. So the king went to his palace, spent the night fasting. And no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, oh my gosh, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, Oh, king, live forever. My God sent an angel and shut the lions' mouths. So that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. Remember what I just said to you before. This is an, or, this is an ordeal. This is not an execution. That's what he means by saying that. God has found him innocent. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him. And commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den. And no injury whatsoever was found on him. Because he believed in his God. So here he he is. He is unscathed. Just like the men. Do you remember the men earlier in chapter 3? What is interesting about their part of the story is they refuse to bow down to an idol. They refrain from bowing down to this idol. In chapter 6, Daniel refuses to refrain from worshiping his God. Isn't that kind of cool how you see that in the story? I think it's kind of cool. So you see that this is much different. So here he is unscathed, and here is the king. He's checking him over. He wants to see, is he really okay? He's totally unscathed. Yes, he has been delivered. And at this point, I can end the whole sermon, right? I can end the sermon. Because the bottom line, the moral of the story is, be like Daniel. When you go in your lion's dens, whatever they look like, just be like Daniel. Have faith, and he will deliver you. Whatever your situation is, don't worry, he will deliver you. That's the moral of the story. Let's pray. Who said eight? What? I'm not done. That's not the moral of the story. Can I tell you, this is the real part of the sermon you want. This is the deep part of the sermon, but this is what you want. This is the, this is the real meat, okay? Let me tell you why. You know why a lot of people, I think, aren't Christians? Or people that have tried Christianity and they didn't like it? Oh, it's not for me. Because of this kind of story. 
You go, what? This is a famous story. Because people believe. I become a Christian. I'm not supposed to have difficult situations. I'm supposed to be delivered from difficult situations. And if I go in the lion's den, I better come out of the lion's den unscathed. I better not have any marks on me. I better not have any cuts. I better not have any bruises. Are you with me? That's true. Isn't, doesn't that make sense? A lot of people, I think, are not Christians today because of this. So the message is not, God shuts the mouths of lions. Just be like Daniel. Have the faith of Daniel. No, 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 that's not the message. Because when I look in the New Testament, all throughout the Bible, how about Hebrews chapter 11? How many of you know the hall of fame, right? The heroes of the faith. Verses 1 through like 34 into the beginning of 35, all the great exploits and, and uh, Moses, to Abraham did this and Moses did this and it goes on and on. Let me show you what verse 35 says, the beginning. Um, oops. There, there we go, right here. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn too, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. Friends, I'm here to tell you this morning, there were people, there were saints from the past that lost their lives and they went into dens and they prayed just as hard as the individuals in the first 34 verses, but their lives were not saved. So don't tell me the moral of Daniel in the lion's den is, trust God and as, just have a lot of faith and things are really going to work out for you because that's not true. Oh, you didn't think this is the kind of message? You thought I was just going to go, oh, yeah, positive, just keep thinking, this is what's going to happen. No, that's not the moral of the story. And I, I listen, I listen to sermons and I read a lot. And I'm like, I, that's not the point of this. Just not. Because you know what's interesting to me? The word witness that we have, you know where it comes from? It comes from the word martyr. It comes from the word martyr. And a martyr is someone who shows Christ's passion in life and in death. Okay, now I'm going to roll up my sleeves. Now I'm going to tell you some stories. You ready for some stories? I'm ready. Here we go. I don't care if I'm all disheveled. I really don't care. This is what I waited for a week. How about the first guy? I mean, can I give you a couple of stories about people, martyrs, people that prayed just as hard as Daniel did, but their lives weren't saved. Here you go. Here's the first one. This is 107 AD. Ignatius of Antioch, who was killed by wild beasts. So he, too, prayed that he would be delivered. This was his last prayer before he was devoured by these wild beasts. Now at last, I am beginning to be a disciple. No earthly pleasure can bring me any good, no kingdom of this world. It is better for me to perish and obtain Jesus Christ than to rule over the ends of the earth. Let me suffer as my Lord suffered. Real history. Go look it up. There was a man that said these words. Can I have somebody come up here? I never asked for this. Can I have somebody come up here and play the keyboard for me? Well, I'm starting because I'm moving towards it. Thank you. I appreciate that. How about the next story here? Give me a little bit of time, all right, for this one. This is my favorite. The year is 320 AD. Our story takes place in Sebasti, Armenia. 320 AD. Now, the Roman Empire is divided. There are two emperors. The one in the east, you all know his name. His name is Constantine, right, in the east. Nine years before this, in 320 AD, nine years before, Constantine had a vision of a cross. Right after that, he started to allow religious tolerance for Christians. So he's ruling one side of the empire. On the other side of the empire, we have Valerius Licinius. And here's some pictures for you. Here's the first guy. That's a, a statue of Constantine, the great Constantine. And then here, the kingdom is divided, right? You have Valerius Licinius. Licinius is the antithesis of Constantine. He is brutally, savagely, he's killed thousands of Christians. He hates them with a passion. Nobody is allowed to, to, to serve Yahweh, right? So here's what he does. He issues a decree. He says everybody in his kingdom, every single person, all of his military, any regular person that you have to make sacrifices to him as the emperor and you have to say, utter the words that he is the one true living God. Well, in Sebasti, Armenia, there was, a, there was the, what is known as the 12th Legion. And the 12th Legion, oh, they were the best soldiers, the finest that Rome had, the best. They were all Christians. Again, this is real history. 
40 men who served God and loved God. 40 of them, the 12th legion. And they heard about this, and it's midwinter now, when, the, when this is decreed to them, when it's read before them, that every single person in the empire and every single soldier that is here, you will make sacrifices to the emperor, Licinius, who is on the throne. He is the king of kings, and he is the lord of lords. And there were 40 men in this 12th legion. Guess what they said? We will not bow the knee. We will not make sacrifices. The, the general that is there, the general that was in charge of them, goes into a tent, talks, he confers with the other generals that are there. What are we going to do? These guys won't bow down. The head guy comes out and says, look, I'm going to give you another chance. You need to bow down. You need to bow down right now. You need to make these sacrifices. Come on. You know what's under penalty of death. You're going to lose your life if you don't. They don't waver. They don't acquiesce. They are jailed. They're put in a jail. Now there's a man, the chief jailer's name was Aglios. Aglios is the guy that's in charge of them. Now they had to wait because they were going to go on trial. They refused to bow the knee. Then the trial starts. And the head guy gets up, the head general that's there, he gets up and says, Listen, 12th Legion, you are the most loyal, you are the most venerated soldiers in all of Rome. Again, in front of everybody here. Asking, pleading, imploring that they, you have another opportunity before everyone here. It has to be a public statement. We're asking that you would make the sacrifices to Licinius and all will be well. All will be forgotten. You know what the leader of that 12th legion said? We are not to have any gods. No idols. We are willing to die. You know what their punishment was? They were to be taken out at sundown to the middle of a frozen lake. There were to be ropes tied to them, heavy ropes. They were to be stripped naked. They were to be left out on a lake. Real history. This really happened, saints. They were to be left out on this lake where they would die. But here's the best part. They had soldiers, first of all, that would be all around this lake. They could give in any time they wanted and back, right, back on the shore... There would be a bathhouse for them. Hey, hey, like the Navy SEALs, right? Come on, just give up, give in. You can come back. They set up this, this, uh, this bathhouse so that you can make the sacrifices to the emperor and all will be well again. Well, here it is. It's sundown. They're taken. And guess what? There wasn't any need for other soldiers to apprehend them. They went willingly. They stripped off all their clothes. All 40 of those men went out to the middle of that frozen lake. And there they stood. The 40 men that are sitting there. And they're wondering and they're knowing that this is the end. And there was a song that they sang. 40 brave soldiers for Jesus. 40 brave soldiers for Christ. We will be true to our God and stare death in the face. Though we perish on this lake of ice. They were singing this song. And you know what? They sang it all week. I told you there was a man, the chief jailer. His name was Aglios. And they're singing the song in the middle of the lake. It's frigid. They're cold. They're extremities. We complain about a little cold in a couple of weeks. Oh my gosh, it's so cold out. They had no clothes on, not a stitch of clothing. They're out in the middle of the lake. As the night went on, the voices started to get weaker and weaker. 40 soldiers for Jesus. 40 soldiers for Christ. As the night went on, and it was almost about midnight, out from the darkness came one beleaguered, tired soldier who was ready to give in. Now there were only 39. And here is this man. you got to see this scene. Here is this man that comes out and he starts crawling at the end. He's naked again and he's being led towards the bathhouse and here is this chief jailer, Aglios, and he's watching all of this happen and he just can't believe he's perplexed. But he sees this man and he makes his way to the bathhouse and he goes inside and as he goes inside, only five minutes later, he collapses and dies because the heat was too strong. He had been out in the cold for too long. Well, here's the best part of the story, friends. 
the chief jailer, we don't know exactly what happened, but the man Aglios that was put in charge of those 40 soldiers in the 12th Legion ripped off his helmet and ripped off his clothes and had some understanding of who Jesus Christ was and he made his way out onto the lake. 40 soldiers for Jesus, 40 soldiers for Christ. Real history. What a story really happened. I cried all week as I thought about the story. I said, I can't believe, Lord, that this really happened. That people, that there were real people that said we would rather die than bow down and serve this emperor. Bow our knee. Did you know there were others too? How about a Dietrich Bonhoeffer? How about we move it forward? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you don't know the name, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was somebody that was prolific during the, uh, d- during the Nazis. Hitler. He was the one, one of the people that led the underground church movement. A man that in the late 30s, he escaped to England and chose to come back and lead this movement underground. He actually was part of an assassination plot on Hitler. Only days before his concentration camp would be liberated, he would be sent to the gallows. They would hang him. And these, I I love these words. This is the end. But for me, it is the beginning of life. How do you stare death in the face like that in a lion's den and say, you know what? I'm not going to bow my knee. I'm not going to give in. It's all worth it. Don't you want to meet these 40 soldiers and people like Bonhoeffer one day? Don't you want to meet them? How about today, saints? You go, yeah, that's still 60 plus years ago. How about today? Well, I'll tell you about today. How about only a month ago, a few weeks ago in uh, Syria, 11 missionaries were crucified by ISIS. 11 missionaries. You want to hear this story? This is crazy. They were Muslim and they converted to Christianity. Well, some of the, these ISIS individuals that were there, they found out, they caught wind of this and they approached them and said, listen, either you convert back to Islam and we'll spare your lives or you're, you're going to get crucified. We're going to put you on a cross. The pastor, the head guy, there were nine churches that were there. Nine churches. They took the pastor's son. Now, this is explicit, but I think you should hear it. They cut off all of the fingertips, all 10 of the young boy's fingertips. And they looked at the father and they said, Recant, you can switch, turn back now, turn to Islam and your son will be saved. And that man stood there resolute and said, no, I won't. They beat his son and they put him on a cross and they beat that man and they put him on a cross right next to him. And those individuals, all 12 of them, were crucified and they were put there for two days. No one was allowed to touch them. They weren't saved from the lion's den. Oh, that's just the third, that's a third world country. That's ISIS. We don't really have ISIS issues here in America. If you do not see the attack on Christianity and you think, I know you, some of you are going, man, this is so far-fetched. Nothing, something like this could never happen in our country. Hey, listen, I don't know for sure, but listen, persecution is already here. Come on. We're sleeping, sleeping. We're asleep at the wheel. Here is a story, Daniel, these other individuals, other stories I'm giving you. Real life stories of people that were persecuted. But you know what? They didn't give in. Are we going to give in? Come on. Are we going to give in? Can you give me five more minutes? I know this is not how you probably wanted to leave service. But this is reality. I'm sorry. This is reality. This is the real story. So I said before, as the conclusion, just just be like Daniel. Just be like Daniel. Just be really brave and, and nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. You just keep moving ahead and keep doing right. And I guarantee you bad stuff won't happen. But, you know, that's not true because Christians get cancer and Christians get sick and Christians lose kids. Tragedy after tragedy. And sometimes things don't make sense. Well, I'll tell you what this story is here to tell us today. If you're going through pain, if you're in pain right now, I would say the first thing is this story is here to tell us that there is salvation waiting for us in the future. You know what miracles are? You know why this story is into this miracle? They are not a suspension. They're not a suspension. Miracles are not a suspension of the natural order. They're really a restoration of the natural order. They are not how... This world that you live in right now, please hear me. It's not how things were in the beginning and it's not how things are ultimately going to be. 
It is a restoration. You have to see that of what the world will be like, what it was like and what it will be like. And I think of like a verse like this. Look at this in Isaiah when he says at 11, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. There is coming a day when the lion will lay down with the lamb. There is coming a day when all sickness and all disease is gone. How about ending with this? How about ending with this? How about the real Daniel? How about the ultimate Daniel who went into a den, into a lion's den, Oh, and let me tell you, they beat him. They mocked him. He was persecuted. There were swords that were put in his side, and they put him on a cross. I'm sorry to tell you, but the Jesus that I know did not make it unscathed out of his lion's den. Did not make it unscathed. He was killed when he was put on that cross. He was crucified. And the reason why, because the real Daniel was being torn by the justice of God. God's justice was being poured out on him. He was dying the death that we were supposed to die. He was taking it all on the cross. The real, the truer Daniel. The one that went into the lion's den for us. And we can't understand, friends, again, as I close here today. We can't understand that, you know, how can we deal with things like disease? I'll tell you how you can deal with disease. You know that the ultimate disease, sin and death, was taken care of on that cross 2,000 years ago by Jesus Christ. How do you deal if you're in the den of financial issues going on right now? I would tell you, he took the ultimate death. If you're lonely right now, I tell you, there was one that sat on that cross and said, Father, why has thou forsaken me? He was as lonely as you could ever get. You'll never be as lonely as Jesus Christ was. It's the only religion in the world where God, the God says, I'm going to come down and save my people. I'm going to live like you. I'm going to see what it's like to be you. No other religion that does that. So the lions in our lives, friends, they can roar all they want. The only lions, the only lions that can really ki- kill us, Jesus took on the cross. He took them. Whatever lions, Daniel, whatever lion is coming after you today, I would tell you this. I'm going to end with C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said it best. He said, you will never tame the lions of your life until you let God be the untamed lion in your life. Oh, my gosh. I gave you some bombs. Just sit on this one. What does that mean? Music team, please come up. What does that mean? That means until you understand and truly continue to meditate and ruminate on what Jesus Christ did on that cross and realize that whatever den you're in, your little den, my little den that we're in, and to realize that nothing can truly touch us, nothing can really affect us because we know that everything in the end, it's not how things were, it's not how things ultimately will be. I get strepto in my house. 
I don't know. I'm trying to parent kids. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. At the end of the day, he's still God. I just want him. I want you. It doesn't matter what happens in my life, whether I'm sick, I'm, I'm, I'm not, whatever it is. I want to trust you and know that you are God. And I'm not going to bow my knee because I know this life, say I live 70, 80 years. I'm not going into the shore. I'm not going into the bathhouse. I'm not sipping the hot chocolate. I'm going to keep moving. visit us at chccny.com.